You are listening to another episode of the official Sasta podcast brought to you by me, Harry Stebbings, at H Stebbings with two B's on Snapchat, and the main man in Sass, Jason Lemkin, at Jason LK on Twitter. And I must say, Jason's been on cracking form on Twitter recently, so if you haven't followed him there, then that really is a must. But to the show today, and I'm thrilled to welcome back a guest who we so enjoyed having on the first time, and so when they recently hit a very special milestone, we felt we had to have them back. Therefore, I'm thrilled to welcome back to the hot seat, Mark Organ. Now, Mark is the founder and CEO at Influence. Influitive helps B2B companies mobilise their army of advocates for more rapid and profitable revenue growth. They've raised close to 50 million in VC funding from some of the best in the business, including the likes of Lightspeed, First Round, prior guest Cindy Padnos at Illuminate, and Nick Mater at Gainsight, just to name a few. Prior to Influitive, Mark was the founding CEO of Eloqua, growing the business to over 150 people, hundreds of clients, and a major presence around the world in seven years. Eloqua was eventually bought by Oracle in 2012 for a reported $810 million. I'd also want to give a big hand to the wonderful Sydney Padnos for the intro to Mark today, several months ago now. We really do appreciate that. But before we dive into the show today, one has to admit, having an always up-to-date overview of your CAC, LTV, and other marketing metrics is hard, boring, and extremely manual. As the number one online marketing reporting tool, Supermetrics helps you report, monitor, and analyze your online marketing efforts. They pull all your advertising, SEO, analytics, and social data whenever and to wherever you need them. Stay on top of your marketing game with minimum effort and they have over 100,000 users and a four and a half star rating in the Chrome store. You can't go wrong with Supermetrics. Visit supermetrics.com forward slash Sasta to start your free trial today. And thanks to my friends at WePay, let me introduce to you another very cool player in SaaS, Joist, the go-to app for contractors. With an average app store rating of over four and a half stars across tens of thousands of reviews. Why so much love? Well, the Joist platform is designed for ease of use in a mobile world and enabling contractors to estimate, invoice, collect payments, and manage projects from anywhere. And this is big business. More than 500,000 contractors have used Joyce to manage more than $8.5 billion in invoice work. And you can learn more at Joyce.com. And to learn how you can grow your revenue with integrated payments like Joyce did, visit WePay.com forward slash Sasta. WePay's got a really smart cheat sheet on how to get started with platform payments. That really is a must. Get it at WePay.com forward slash Sasta. Who knows? Work with WePay and you could even be featured here in a future profile. Start at wepay.com forward slash Sasta. But enough from me, so without further ado, I'm delighted to hand over to Mark Organ, founder and CEO at Influitive. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Mark, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show for round two. What can I say? I so enjoyed round one. Round two was inevitable. So thank you so much for joining me today. It is my pleasure. I think this is this one of my favorite podcasts and I can't wait to get into this one. Oh, you're too kind. But for all those that didn't maybe listen to round one, talk to me a little bit about you and the founding story of Influitive. Sure. Well, you know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been building companies since uh, since I was you know, a young teenager. So and I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So it's, it's in my blood in a way. But I've also had some other really interesting experiences along the way in terms of being a research scientist and management consultant. I think those learnings have come together in terms of building scalable software companies. You know, Before I founded Influitive, I was founder and CEO of Eloqua. I was really one of the original SaaS companies, the original multi-tenant SaaS companies 
founded in January 2000. So I learned a lot from my experience there. And in fact, it was at Eloqua that where I got my idea for Influitive. Uh, I was working at the time with someone else who's been on your show, David Skok. He's uh, fantastic. Looking, we love David. He, he is. And so 12 years ago, he was looking at my Series A financing. And one of the things that he told me that I should do, which he's now captured in, in a story called the One Day Sales Cycle that's on his website for entrepreneurs.com. Uh, he told me this story about how he sold more than a year's worth of software in a single evening. And I was very excited about this, of course, like, like all entrepreneurs. Uh, <laughs> how do you sell a year's worth of software in a day? And you know, I got out of the office and went to study how and why my customers bought my software. What was the process they went through to buying my software? And very much like David, what, what I discovered was that what we now call advocates were really critical to these best-in-class buying cycles, these opportunities that would close in four days instead of four months. And you know, that's when I said, okay, we have to do a lot more of this advocacy stuff, more referrals, more references, all the right kinds of case studies and stories. And if it turns out it was much harder than we thought, it was much harder to get it sustainably. And that's because we were not giving advocates the experiences that they wanted. They wanted the experiences of uh, having recognition and having social capital, and they wanted to be fun and rewarding, and they wanted to meet other advocates. I mean, those are the feelings that they wanted. And by accident, we discovered at the Marquis Awards, which is our first you know, sort of Academy Awards for marketing, uh, where we provided these feelings for advocates, and we got this flood of advocacy as a result. And that's when I knew that this was probably going to be a new company that I would start at some point, uh, which I did have a chance to do uh, a couple years, well, tried it a couple years after I did this research uh, that David Scott prompted me to do, and wasn't able to get the right team together. But by 2010, I was able to get the right founding team. And that's when Influitive was uh, founded here uh, in Toronto, which is where we are. And the idea behind Influitive is to provide the best experience for advocates so that they will do more of what we all need as SaaS entrepreneurs, which is we need more advocacy. We need more referral leads. We need more five-star reviews online, case studies, videos, more references to close deals. Uh, because these days, buyers want trust and transparency that comes from their peers telling them that a company or product is the right thing as opposed to a sales rep or more marketing material. And so that's what we're all about here at Influitive. And what a journey though it has been. And I want to start with the very exciting news of Influitive now being in its first few months of being cash flow positive. And so on that topic, I've got a question from Mike Hirschland at Resolute. And he asks, how did you make the decision to make profitability a goal? You know, this is interesting. To be honest, we did not have a lot of choice on the matter. We could have tried to raise more money at, at probably a disadvantageous terms. But, you know, we're at the point now at Influitive, like probably a, a lot of SaaS companies, uh, where if we were to put a lot of capital into the business, we would not necessarily get a great outcome. Our LTV to CAC, which is, well, another metric that David Scott talks about all the time, uh, is not really where it needs to be. And so it costs us too much to acquire customers. And we don't hold on to our customers long enough. We don't upsell and cross-sell enough of our customers to being uh, larger, more significant customers. It's not bad. I mean, clearly we've got to the point where we're growing and you know had a, a profitable cash flow positive month last month. But it's different from being able to scale massive with capital. And now that we're at the Series C stage, that's what will be required. So I think the best thing for the company at this point is to become a sustainable company. And then we have lots more 
more time, almost, you know, infinite time, I guess, until we have serious competition. I guess that's the other thing, too, is that we don't really have a lot of competition right now. So we have time, right? We have time to really figure things out, to get the product perfect, to get the business model perfect, so that we can raise 30, 40, 50 million dollars, and we could really put it to work. Whereas today, I think if we did that, not all the lead generation that we would do would work. Not all the sales reps would, would have enough leads in order to close. We would be working on sales opportunities that weren't a perfect fit to renew. So the best thing to do is to be a sustainable company. Can I ask, how do you communicate that to your investors who are potentially always looking for the aggressive growth and hockey stick charts? How do you communicate that? And is that a challenge? I communicate it the same way I just did over the last two minutes. Um, and I find mo- most investors are actually, they often smile and say, you know, good good for you. That's We wish more entrepreneurs would do that. And that's exactly what I'd communicate it, right? The way I'd communicate it is that we cannot scale massively with capital right now. We thought we could two and a half years ago, which is why we, we raised a large Series B. We raised a $32 million Series B because at that point we were growing at 200% plus a year. Our LTV to CAC was six to one. And it really looked like we uh, had found the proverbial pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Turns out that worked really well with low-hanging fruit. Now we're climbing higher in the tree for the fruit. And there's things that we need to do with our product and business model in order to work for the entire tree, not the low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I communicate it and say, I, I want to make sure that I have enough time so that we figure this out. So we have a very aggressive product development plan where we've, we've actually built quite a bit of new technology, both to reduce our CAC, so to win customers more efficiently. We've got two great new products. One's called Upshot, which generates customer stories effortlessly for the customer and it's growing very fast. We have another new product called Advocate Anywhere, which integrates with our customer's software so that they can get advocacy right from within their product. Again, that's more on the stickiness side of things, making a product a lot stickier, reducing our churn. Right, So we've got new ideas and product. We're trying new things on pricing. We are building some pretty amazing new processes in our customer success area so that our launches are more consistently successful. And again, another one of those things that reduces churn. Right? And it takes time for those innovations that we're developing to get traction. Mm-hmm. So most investors are like, that's great. Call me when you've got all this figured out and I've got a check for $50 million for you. <laughs> <laughs> so talk to me then. With the move to cash flow positive, I want to understand some of the steps that you took in order to get there. One of them that I always hear about is the ability to land whales. So how much of a role has landing really large contracts played for you in making the move to cash flow positive with Influitive? Uh, very important. In fact, this is the exact same playbook that I used while making Eloqua cash flow positive. Um, Eloqua was cash flow positive for three and a half years before we raised a Series A round and to follow the very similar playbook. And one of those plays that almost always works is to go up market. Jason talks about that a lot. I wouldn't say we're quite at whales yet. You know, we're in an e- intermediate uh, large mammal, sea animal area, uh, manatees maybe, I don't know. So, I mean, we're landing deals that are $200,000, $250,000 now, whereas before our biggest deals were like 100 to 125. So they're bigger, but they're not multi-million dollar deals yet, but we're working on it. And I think we will land uh, one of those whales in the next year mm-hmm. uh, for sure. But very, very important to land larger deals with bigger customers. It doesn't take that much more work, both pre-sales and post-sales, but of course the revenue is much higher. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is that you're much more likely to get prepayments. If you can convince a customer to pay you 
$100,000 a year, you know, they're pretty bought in and they see this as a multi-year investment and they're typically have a lower cost of capital because they're bigger companies. So they're much more likely to pay you for 12 months in advance or even more in advance. And I think that is probably the most important thing in terms of us becoming cash flow positive because uh, to, just to be clear, we're not a profitable company. We're not profitable, right? We, we run, our expenses are larger than our revenues, but our cash is considerably ahead. And a lot of that is because we're selling, you know, multi-year deals and we're getting more than a year of cash up front. And that's much more likely when you're selling bigger customers. The other thing, again, is that it's from both a pre-sales and post-sales perspective, it's less work per dollar or less cost per dollar of revenue that comes in. So for a whale account, you do have to spend more time to service them. You need a higher quality of service as well. There's a higher level of expectations. One of those expectations, for example, is international, which we, we now have operations in, in Europe and we'll have operations in Asia in the next 12 to 18 months. Right? If you want to service a very large account, they, they do expect to have support mm-hmm. around the world. But all told, if you're doubling or tripling or quadrupling the revenue per account at the high end, it more than makes up for it. So talk to me. You said about prepayments there. I'm very interested. For an early stage startup, how much is a feasible amount to ask in terms of kind of advanced payment? Is it a year? Is it two years? Where's the balance between aggressive but still feasible and then unreasonable? You know, it's a continuum. Uh, you, you know, you can in many ways measure the strength of your brand by how much pre payment you're able to get. <laughs> you know, when we started in Fluidive, even with my background at Aliqua, I mean, we couldn't even get a quarter up front. People were saying, well, you were just founded a year ago or two years ago. You may go out of business. So we'll pay you every month. And then we got quarterly payments. And then we were able to get six months sometimes at a time. And, and then we're able to get a year at a time. Now we're at the point where we're actually able to get two years up front from some of our, our customers, our global customers. For, for them, that's they've already bought in. They've seen that in, in many cases, they've seen that we've been successful already with some of their divisions. They talk to their friends and they hear good things about Influitive. So the, the risk and fear have gone away. Uh, it's actually easier if they don't have to deal with getting an invoice every quarter. What I'd say is that just keep pushing, you know, keep pushing every quarter that goes by. Try, you know, try to get more cash up front and do what you can, uh, you know, make the make it worthwhile for the sales reps to do that. We pay about a third more commission to get cash up front, you know, versus not. And I keep asking the sales like he has a sales VP if we paid more would we get higher performance and he said no Um, but we've managed to get our cash prepayments up from 40% up to now about 80% of our customers now pay 12 months up front can Uh, can I ask how much of a role does discounting play for you in terms of being able to convert them from non-prepayments to prepayments you know in the early days it played a a significant role and what discount Um, level do you do you think is kind of acceptable we, we, we would discount an additional 15% to get 12 months up front, mm-hmm. uh, we, we don't have to discount really anymore. Uh, that's, you know, we're, we're almost seven years in now. We have a, we have a brand, we're a recognized company. Well, what we started to do is say, well, well, we'll charge you quite a bit extra if you don't prepay. We actually will not discount at all for prepayments, but we'll charge an extra 20 to 30% if people want to pay quarterly. I'm intrigued with regards to sales rep compensation. I heard the other day from a sales rep that they're only being paid sales bonuses when cash is received, not when the contract's signed. What's your take on this? And, and what do you think can be done to incent sales reps further to really push towards cash flow positive? 
Yeah, this is another change that we made. It wasn't particularly popular, but we did do it. We used to pay our commission on signing. We now pay 50% of the commission on signing and 50% when the cash is received. Yeah, I think that actually makes sense. By paying all the cash on signing, I think that misaligns incentives between the sales rep, the company, and the customer. You know, so the other thing that I noticed, I mean, not only did we start our cash flow was better by not paying all the commission up front, but the sales people were also more incented to make sure that the customer launched on time and launched well. So there's a little extra incentive. They get paid faster because often we will get paid a chunk of money when it's launched. Even even if the customer is supposed to pay earlier, we notice that they want to see that their program is successful. So I think that's the other reason to do it. So I think the thing to think through for SaaS entrepreneurs is how do you align things between the sales professional, your company, and especially the customer? How do you make sure the customer wins? Because I think your compensation plan for the sales reps should reflect that. At the same time, I wouldn't pay all the commission upon customer success. That's actually what I used to do at, at Eloqua. We we would only pay the sales rep when when cash was coming in from the customer and the customer is successful. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with that, it, the psychology of that isn't as good. Like there, It's very satisfying for a sales rep to know I'm going to work hard and I'm going to close this deal and I'm going to get paid something. Yeah. And I think if you take that away, I think you, you, you might end up doing more harm than good. So that, that's why we do this 50-50 plan and it seems to be working really well. After some initial complaining, I think the sales team knows that it's actually good for everybody. It's good for the customer and good for the company. And, and they're going to get paid. They're just going to have to wait a little longer. As well. Absolutely. No, it's the alignment. Before we dive into a quick fire, though, I do want to talk about one more financial element, but more on the macro perspective of the company. And Jason uh, Lemkin often tells me, Harry, debt can be very accretive for SaaS businesses. Uh, so talk to me, do you agree with this and the ability to, to use debt to get a few key hires and build features? on really low interest rates. Yeah, I do agree with qualification. I think debt can be very, very dangerous for a SaaS company at the wrong time. At the end of the day, look, you got to pay that money back. So for a SaaS company that has been losing money forever and is going to keep losing money for quite a while, the idea of taking on debt is a frightening one unless there's a very clear path to profitability there, which again, we, we have now. So now for us, debt makes lots of sense. And we're, in fact, we're closing on uh, several million dollars of debt uh, soon um, in the next couple of weeks. And the reason is exactly what, what you just said about what, uh, what Jason said. We have investments that will be, I believe, very, very profitable for the company. We've been at it now for seven years. We know what we're doing. We know the customer segments that are going to buy quickly. We know the customer segments that are going to get value quickly. Um, we know what to build that will generate value for our customers quickly. We know who to hire that are going to get off and running you know, fairly, fairly fast. So I think if if you know the investments that you need to make that are safe investments, then debt makes tons of sense. And so how I define it, and we're very rigorous about this at Influitive, in that investments, if we're going to go and, in, and invest in a, a new project or idea, then we have to feel comfortable that we're going to get payback in six months or less, that we're going to get a three times return in 18 months. And there's a shot, like maybe there's a 5% chance that it's going to be a massive home run. It's going to be a 10x or more return on investment in the long term. So people have to present that. Typically, though, there's a we have a slide deck. There's a five-slide deck that we have. It's a template. People fill out the template, and they're on the hook for that. So if they propose a project and we fund it, and it doesn't give the return characteristics that have been promised, there's some accountability for that. 
But uh, yeah, if you've got those projects in place, then sure. I mean, raising money where you only have to pay back, you pay back 6% interest a year. That makes a lot of sense if you're getting payback on those investments in six months and you're getting three times return in, in, in 18 months. So again, it, it depends on the type of company you are. Like we had an opportunity to raise debt about three years ago and we decided, our board decided it was not a good idea at the time uh, because a lot of things were just not proven out yet. And our equity holders were not that excited about having debt holders that were higher than them in the stack. <laughs> I, I do want to move into a quick fire round that we're calling Mark 60 Seconds Faster. So as you know, right. I say a short statement and you hit me with your immediate thoughts. How does that sound? Let's do it. So what hires do you wish you'd made earlier? Designers, better designers earlier. I think, and it's funny, design is not something you hear a lot from Jason, but it's becoming more and more critical and I wish we did better there. When building a category leader, this one's from Nick Mesa, how do you figure out how mature the category is and how fast it will grow? My belief is that the category will grow as fast as your target market will grow. So in the case of Nick Meta, his category is dependent on the growth of the ideas and the people of customer success themselves. Right? So if customer success is growing really fast, then the category is growing really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same thing is true for us at Influted with, with advocate marketers. Pros and cons of being outside the, the hailed valley as a SaaS company. I love it. Um, I love being here in Toronto, although Toronto is going through its own golden age right now, and it's uh, almost as hard to hire here as, as in the Valley, but I still think we have uh, quite a lot of advantages here. In terms of sort of top tips, I mean, honestly, I, I think it's all about culture and especially learning and growth. You know, I think the particularly the millennials are working on hiring. They're looking to grow and develop as fast as they can. And so the best advice I could give entrepreneurs is to build real robust plans around how to grow and develop your people. It's one of the things that startups don't do very well, typically. What do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of Influitive? Yeah, this is a very philosophical question. I like, I like, I like to go deep, Mark. You know, we can have some meta thinking. <laughs> so I, I, think, I think there is a reason for why I've learned things at the time that I've learned them. And honestly, I don't think I would make any changes. Like the journey of building a SaaS company, as you know, is, is a decade, plus or minus two years. And it just takes time. It takes time to, to build these things. And in that time, you often have to acquire knowledge and knowledge gets acquired in the time that it wants to get acquired in. So, mm-hmm. no. you know, I, I can't think of anything really, really big there, you know, other than maybe it's amazing how much of the success of these companies does come down to self-management, you know, as a CEO and and being the best CEO that you can be. So perhaps getting an executive coach sooner might have accelerated my journey by a bit. No, absolutely. I want to finish today, though, moving out of the quick fire round and the terrible philosophical questions uh, (laughs) by by discussing two elements that are related to kind of influitive and advocacy. So first is renewals. And the big question, when's the right time to hire a CSM to ensure successful first renewals? Very, very very early. What state um, what stage would you say MRR wise? Yeah, I mean with both companies, both at Eloqua and in Fluidive, like here the MRR would have been less than 10k MRR. I mean, very small. Basically, we went our first four or five customers. We didn't just hire a CSM, we actually hired a leader. We hired a, a, a director level person and, and she was outstanding. And and here's here's why. It's almost a risk-free proposition because I mean, not only are you getting your early customers well taken care of, which as you know is 
critical. Mm-hmm. It's not just about MRR. I mean, yeah, the, the MRR renewals is just a drop in the bucket compared to the full potential because these are the companies that you need to be your advocates. This is how you're going to get more customers is through the success of your existing customers. And when you're outselling, I mean, who do the prospects want to listen to? I mean, they don't want to talk to a sales rep. So I would advocate hiring a sales rep considerably later because it's not time for that. Prospects don't want to hear from an aggressive sales rep. They love to hear from the CEO, and they also like to hear from the person who is working with these customers every day and making them successful. So in this case, I had a, hired a director of customer success, Julie Prasovsky, and Julie was instrumental in helping me win new deals. She was also critical on the marketing front. You know, she'd do webinars and that sort of thing. And everybody wanted to hear from Julie because Julie was learning more about advocate marketing than anybody because she was in the trenches. So I would, I actually would advocate making customer success your very first executive hire, like non-tech executive hire should be customer success. And typically somebody that, you know, for your first person is, is somebody who's really on their way up. It could be a younger person that has been a great CSM before and maybe ready for leadership. That's been my model that I've used, mm-hmm. uh, both at Eloquent and Fluidive. It's been a winner for me. And then I, I want to finish on a question from Nick Matter. I have to hand it to him, but it's a good question. You mentioned customer success there playing such a pivotal role. How do advocacy and customer success differ? But then how do they also fit together yeah so how do they well how do they fit together there's there's actually a symbiotic relationship between customer health and advocacy and and you're right they're not the same thing but there's a symbiotic sort of mutually reinforcing relationship between the two so if you have a customer that's quite pissed off it's unlikely you're going to get a lot of advocacy from them although you'd be surprised you'd be surprised that sometimes people who are annoyed can actually still be advocating and and the, the reason why is the reason why they advocate is not necessarily the same as you know why they bought the product in the first place. It's actually one of the big insights that I had building Influitive is that people advocate because they want to feel a certain way. They want to feel uh, recognition. They want social capital. That said, their their integrity is important to them. So it's unlikely they're going to be advocating if they've been an annoyed customer for long. So I guess the first thing, if you want a customer that's going to be advocating for you, it's, it's good that they're happy, that they're generating value and are having good experience with your company. But here's the flip side of it that's been very interesting. There's a corollary here. And a corollary is that customers who advocate are much more likely to be healthy. And there's actually a causal relationship there because, of course, no customer relationship goes smoothly all the time. And so customers that advocate are more resilient to shocks, more resilient to problems that happen in a relationship. And, and I think the, the psychological principle of con- consistency is here. Right? They These people are advocating and something bad happens in the customer relationship. They're more likely to forgive it or they're more, you know, because they've been advocating. So clearly they like this company and they want to see it do well and they're more willing to give you another chance. So it's really interesting how they kind of go, they kind of go both ways. That said, advocacy is its own process and people advocate for different reasons for why they're a customer in the first place. So that is why we exist at Influitive is that if you have happy customers, by having a dedicated advocate program, you can get a lot more value out of them and they'll advocate for you a lot more. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, now Cashflow Positive uh, and, and really uh, stepping things up. I cannot wait to see SoftBank put a billion into Influitive. Um, and it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for another uh, wonderful interview. 
As always, so much fun to have Mark on the show, and you can follow him on Twitter at Mark Organ, and you can follow me on Snap at H Stebbings with two Bs, and the main man Jason Lemkin on Twitter at Jason LK. It'd be fantastic to see you there. But before we leave you today, having an always up-to-date overview of your CAC, LTV, and other marketing metrics is hard, boring, and extremely manual. As the number one marketing reporting tool, Supermetrics helps you report, monitor, and analyze your online marketing. They pull all your advertising, SEO, analytics, and social data whenever and to wherever you need them. Stay on top of your marketing game with minimum effort. With over 100,000 users and a four and a half star rating in the Chrome store, you can't go wrong with Supermetrics. Simply visit supermetrics.com forward slash Sasta to start your free trial today. And thanks to my friends at WePay, let me introduce to you another very cool player in SaaS, Eventzilla, a complete event management platform for classes, conferences, fundraisers, social events, and more. Mostly free, it generates revenue by collecting a fee on ticket sales for paid events, with customers including the likes of TEDx, MGM Resorts, and Honda. And Eventzilla has helped organizers sell more than 5 million tickets, generating more than $100 million in ticket sales. And you can learn more at eventzilla.net. And to learn how you can grow your revenue with integrated payments like Eventzilla did, visit wepay.com forward slash Sasta. WePay's got a really smart cheat sheet on how to get started with platform payments. Simply head over to wepay.com forward slash Sasta. Who knows, work with WePay and you could even be featured here in a future profile. As always, we so appreciate all your support and cannot wait to bring you next week's episode.